Hello, and welcome to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro, a podcast all about the Bible, theology, and all things related to the Christian faith. I'm the Ryan half of Ryan and Brian, and this is episode number 48 and our seventh episode of season two. Brian and I are talking all about the Samaritans today. There are several stories from the life of Jesus that mention the Samaritans. There's also an obvious tension in scripture between the Jewish people and the Samaritans, but we don't get a whole lot of background information on that tension. So Brian and I look at the historical background of the Samaritans and why Jesus's interactions with the Samaritan woman at the well and the story of the Good Samaritan were so important. This episode is full of historical information and is a fun conversation. Before we get started, just a quick reminder that you can find us at thebiblebistro.com, on Instagram and Facebook at The Bible Bistro, and on YouTube at Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. We have also set up a Patreon account, so if you're enjoying the podcast and would like to support our continued work, you can do that. You can find a link for that in the show notes, but also by going to the website, thebiblebistro.com, and clicking on the link at the top. If you can't financially support us, you could also support the Bistro by simply sharing the podcast with others. That helps as well. All right, let's jump right in looking at the Samaritans. Hey, Brian, welcome back to the Bistro. Hey, Ryan, long time no see. How are you doing? I am excellent. I'm doing, I'm just, you need I'm to let me know when it's going to be a musical, uh, a musical episode of the no, Bistro. No, because I want you to say, you need to tell me when it's going to be a musical Bistro. See, it's like, it's uh, cause and effect. Okay. You know, I always sing, you always say that. It's okay. just, it's, it's a just part of it. Everybody's like fast forwarding yeah. now. Let's get to the real stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, everybody's done. Forget it. Why am I even listening to this podcast? Yeah. Well, we're back. Yeah. We're back. We're back at the table. At the table. You know, the, the round table yes. in the corner of the bistro. Yes. You get the light jazz playing, and we're talking theology. Yep. Is that right? Yeah. It's always... And we're going to talk about some people today. Oh, some are we? Peoples. Talk about people. Well, <laughs> it's gossip talk. Here we go. We're talking about some people. Anyway, so anyway, no one appreciates yeah, that. You, um, you know, I, I was thinking, Ryan, the reason we do the, you know, the, you know, the reason we do this podcast this way is I'm, I'm kind of, I like questions, right? I'm, yes. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to peel back the curtain a little bit and show, show some of the listeners uh, how this all started is when we were start to talk about doing this, I'm like, well, you need to just throw out questions to me. What kind of questions do you want me to answer? And that's the way I like to operate. I like questions. Um, some of my former students I know listened to this uh, when I was teaching in, in college. Um, they listened to this, and I, I know that they'll they'll know that I would teach, I would give some information, and then I had this famous line, I would say, any comments or questions on that? You know, Anything you want to add? And I like that kind of, um, I would say, organic kind of, Question and answer. I think I think that's what I'm best at. Uh, so I love questions, and it was interesting. So I, I'm a, a serving as a preacher in a in a congregation uh, in Danvers, Illinois. We've talked about before, and it was funny because after uh, worship service um, this last week, I had two different people ask me questions. Now there's this one young lady in our in our congregation whose mother is encouraging her. She's it's great. She's reading the Bible. I love it. And so she has all these questions, and her mother encouraged her to write these down and bring them to me and ask me the questions. Yes. So it's cool. She's journaling, you know, she's taking down these these questions and coming and an asking them to me. Well, she had a mm -hmm. question for me after the after the service. 
and you never know where it's going to come from. And uh, so her question this week was, if God created Jesus, then who created God? And of course, you know, there's a lot to talk about with that. <laughs> I'm like, well, yes. Well, first, easy. Oh, this is easy yeah, stuff. Well, first of all, and so, yeah, I kind of left her and she kind of always gives this quizzical look on her face sometimes when I tell her stuff. But here was the other question, because I happened to just mention uh, the Samaritans in a in a side. I'm, I'm preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, so I used one of Jesus' stories about a Samaritan in my uh, in my sermon. And afterwards, this guy said to me, he says, what, what is the basis of this of this difference? He understood some of the uh, problems that the Jewish people had with Samaritans. But, you know, Samaritans are mentioned several times in the Gospels, or at least I shouldn't say several times, a few times. So uh, he, he asked me about that, and I kind of gave the off-the-cuff answer. And <laughs> when I get asked a question, Ryan, you probably have had this experience. People ask me a question, and and I'll start to answer, and I'll say, well, and I'll start to go way back and and you know, after a while, they get this glazed over look, and they're they, uh, yes, you know, yes, sometimes that's sometimes when you ask me a question, you have no idea what you're going to get, and so so I went through, and I thought it was actually a good question. This idea of the identity of the Samaritans, we've talked about a little bit of this stuff from time to time. We talked about the intertestamental period, for example, and the Samaritans uh, are an important group in that period of time. But we also do see them in several stories of the gospel. So I thought it might be interesting. Uh, today to talk about, to answer that question basically a little bit more fully is uh, who are these Samaritans and where do they come from? And really the, the the upshot of this is why did the Jewish people think of the Samaritans as they did? Why did they see the Samaritans the yeah. way they did? There, there seems to be like such a beef a beef yeah. going on there, like no, no, we're, we don't, we don't deal with them. What's that? Yeah, what's that all about? So, anyway, yeah. so I thought we'd start. So, can you think of some of the Samaritan stories in the New Testament? What What are some of the ones that come to your mind when we think about Samaritans, Ryan? Well, I will do one that is popular, popularly called the Good Samaritan. Okay. Yeah, Good Samaritan. Or, a Samaritan who saw a man that had been robbed on the side of the right. road, helped him out. Like, and he did more than right. the righteous, you know, that or self-proclaimed yeah, righteous. Yeah, that's actually that the story that I use Sunday as an illustration because I was talking about Jesus calls us to radical love. That's that's you know when he talks about you know the the you have heard that it was said love your neighbor. I tell you, love your enemy. Uh, do good to those who persecute you. That's that's pretty radical. That's pretty tough. But even that story, you might remember an expert of law. That's Luke chapter ten. Expert of law comes to Jesus and says, uh, "You know, who's my neighbor?" Well, that's not how he starts. Actually, he starts by saying, mm -hmm. "What's the greatest commandment?" I don't know if you remember. And uh, mm -hmm. Jesus says, uh, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself." Uh, on these two, in fact, he says, "Hang the whole law and the prophets." And then um, the um, wanting to justify himself. Uh, well, actually, I think it's, I'm trying to remember how it is there. Actually, I think Jesus asked him, what do you say? And that's right. That, at that point, the expert in the law says, uh, the, you know, these two. And he says, you've, you've said well. Uh, and then wanting to justify himself, uh, the expert in the law says, um, who is my neighbor? And who is my and neighbor? And then Jesus yep. tells the story of the Good Samaritan, and then ask him the question again. You know, this is it, it, see Jesus likes questions too, uh, but Jesus asked the question then, uh, uh, who was a neighbor to him? And the answer was the one who showed him mercy. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. But anyway, what's another? That's, that's one Samaritan story. That's the one I happened to use this this last Sunday. What's another Samaritan yes. story that you can think of? Uh, the woman at the well. We've talked about that one before. John, John four, uh, the woman in the village of Sychar, right at the mount of foot of Mount Gerizim. So yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and those are the two that are just yeah. popping in my and head I say right most now. People, most, and I think I said to you before that most people, Good Samaritan, yeah, that's the one that they would immediately think of. And maybe John 4, if, if they placed that that was Samaritan. But there's at least one other that I can think of. The the You might remember the 10 lepers that were healed. Uh, yes. One came back and... And Luke, I think, is the one who tells the story and, and says, and he was a Samaritan. And that, that was that's an interesting little aside, too. It shows us that that, you know, the whole point of the the story of the uh, Good Samaritan seems to be that the unexpected one is the one, you know, it, it's one of these stories of uh, unexpected heroes, so to speak. Priests, the Levite, the ones we might expect to be those uh, who are heroes within the Jewish faith, walk by. Uh, and the Samaritan, who's seen as as lesser, uh, is is told there. The John four account, very specifically, it says, "We Samaritans have nothing to do with you Jews." You know, there's this uh, acknowledgement of the of the um, um, division there. And even you may have heard your you know a teacher or a preacher or someone in the past say something to the effect that you know Galilean Jews when they would go down from Galilee into Judea would not pass through Samaria. They would rather go over into the Gentile area than even go into Samaria. And, you know, just all these kind of things that, that talk about this animosity. So where does that come from? And and, and, and isn't that, uh, there was some question about that when Jesus went through yeah. Samaria and he's John, the John woman four, at the well. John 4 begins by saying, and and he had to go through Samaria. And so a lot of people wonder what, what exactly that means. Uh, many mm-hmm. commentators, I think Leon Morris called it a divine mandate. He had to because God sent him, you know, and this was this was a part of his mission. Uh, the other place Samaria is mentioned, I, I I said the Gospels, but the other th- place just just occurs to me. We didn't talk about this, but in Acts it talks about um, the gospel being spread throughout Samaria. Uh, you might remember, I think Philip is the one who's mentioned specifically with going there. Uh, geographically, we don't have a map here or anything. Uh, maybe we'll link to one, but. Uh, uh, it, it, it's not that far. Uh, Judea, Judea and Samaria would have shared a, a border. Now, I say that in, in Jesus' day, uh, this all fell under Herod's reign, uh, under Herod's rule, and it was all considered Judea. Uh, you know, some, what we, the, 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 area that we call Samaria would have been called by the Romans Judea. They didn't care if there was animosity there, right? They, they were all about they bureaucratic. They Rome did what they, yeah, yeah, they whatever, did what they whatever did. Whatever make it easy. But, but certainly the Jews and the Samaritans uh, did not look at themselves in the same way. So let's go back and talk about it. Let's answer that question. Who are they? Where do they come from? Now, it's interesting because we often will talk about this from the Jewish perspective. And, and let me say, I'm going to simplify a lot here. There's a lot of questions about the identity of the Samaritans, and there's a lot of really good, interesting work being done on it right now. In, in fact, some of the literature, some of the writings of the Samaritans have only within the past, let's say, 20, 30 years become available. Um, but from a Jewish perspective, it's primarily how we think about it. Here's the interesting thing maybe we've never thought about. From the Samaritans' own perspective, they saw themselves as the true Israelites, as the true descendants mm. of, of Abraham. And in fact, one of the writings that we have is called the Samaritan Pentateuch. Uh, so it's, mm-hmm. it's when I say Pentateuch, that's talking about those first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, and, and those five books the Samaritans had that were almost exactly the same as the Pentateuch as we have it, with a few notable differences where some place names are, are changed and, and this kind of thing. 
but the Samaritans really saw themselves as the true descendants uh, of Israel, the true Israelites. Uh, okay, well, oh, go ahead. So rewind and tell us sure. why. Like, why do they see themselves? Like, where, where is the, well, let me, the origins let of me them? Let me tell you from our Bible, uh, from from our version of the Pentateuch, where they might, where, where you might think about this. So, uh, you remember the Book of Deuteronomy, I'm sure, and I do. and you might remember that in Deuteronomy, the people are when when Moses says when the people go into the Promised Land. Uh, you are to arrange them on two mountains. Do you remember that? Yes. And, and do you remember the name of those mountains? Now this is getting Bible trivia time. No, I did not Mount Bible Gerizim Bible. and Mount Ebal. And so you're to put half the people, six of the tribes on Mount Gerizim and six on Mount Ebal. Uh, Mount Gerizim will be the Mount of Blessings and Mount Ebal will be the Mount of Curses. So Mount Gerizim is mentioned there. This was a mountain kind of in the center of... Um, uh, this area that we call Israel or Canaan, uh, the names kind of are funny and kind of change, but it's a very uh, militarily strategic place. When when the Israelites first crossed and when Joshua crosses into Mount uh, in, into the Promised Land, they do this. They put half the people on Mount Ebal, half on Mount Gerizim. They read the blessings and cursings, kind of prepare the people to go into the land. But this is a very militarily strategic area. Um, it, it's kind of the the Valley of Jezreel. We call it cuts the the nation in half from uh, from the north or excuse me, how we say this northwest to the southeast. Uh, it's where Mount Carmel is. I, I wish I had a map to show you guys. <laughs> But look up Mount. That'd be helpful. Look up the Valley of Jezreel. It was a so we always talk about this area being very important militarily. It was a natural land bridge, but more specifically, this this area in the center of the country, uh, the Valley of Jezreel, was a way you could march a, a, a an army across uh, without having to go over the mountains, which would just be impossible with a with an army. So. So very strategically important. Mount Gerizim is right there. Now, here's where I was going to go with all this. Look at Joshua 8. Um, and, and you'll remember that uh, that the people had um, uh, this uh, Ark of the Covenant with them the whole time they were wandering in the wilderness. And Moses had commanded that they, uh, or I'm sorry, God had commanded Moses that they build this tabernacle. Do you remember that? The portable place of yep. worship. So mm -hmm. look at verse 30 of Joshua chapter 8. It says, okay. Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what's written in the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. And they offered uh, burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings there. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, the interesting thing is, so this would be, have been the first... Uh, religious site for Israelites in the Promised Land, and that's where yeah. the Ark of the Covenant was originally placed. According At to Ebal. the according to the Samaritan tradition, when they moved the Ark of the Covenant, you know where you remember where it went next? Went to a place called Shiloh, down in the okay. south. When they moved that, traditionally the tabernacle that that God had commanded Moses to construct was left on Mount Gerizim. Uh, now, that's the Samaritans' understanding. So they would say Mount Gerizim was the original, <laughs> right? This is the uh -huh. place that we first worshiped God in this nation. And that's really the one that that um, 
has rights of uh, you know no he was at first but the other interesting thing if you look at only the Pentateuch Mount Gerizim is mentioned a dozen or so times 12 or 13 times I can't remember off the top of my head now but but it's mentioned several times in the in the Pentateuch but Jerusalem's not right I mean it, it's it's mm-hmm. this place Salem but it's not it's not a, an important place yet it's not until a later period of time that Jerusalem becomes then the center of worship. And then David is the one who has the concept or the idea that we should build a temple, Mount Zion. But you're talking about at that point, uh, hundreds of years after uh, this thing took place with Joshua. And then, of course, Solomon is the one that builds the temple on Mount, Mount Zion. So again, we're always looking at it from the Jewish perspective, but from the Samaritan perspective, they were saying Mount Gerizim was the place first. So that's that's kind of the beginnings of this of this. So question. the Samaritan's origin story said Gerizim is where it Absolutely. started, and the Jewish and the the other side said no, yeah. it's evil. It's this thing that we always talk about that uh, you know the the victors are the ones that always write their own histories, right? And so mm-hmm. so kind of whichever one you're reading, whether you're reading the Samaritan Pentateuch or whether you're reading the the uh, uh, Pentateuchus we have it, it's it's going to be a little bit different. Of course, we understand what we have is given by God from the Holy Spirit, you know. And so, um, here's the other th- next thing that happens, and this is the one I usually start with. I don't know often talk about that other one first, but um, you remember the divided monarchy? So I just mentioned Solomon. Solomon right. built the temple, and then do you remember which of Solomon's sons is the one who ends up becoming the king? Uh, I always love to. I, I always love to put you on the this. spot. Yes, you do. His name and was, I hate his it. name was Rehoboam. So Solomon's son Rehoboam becomes the the king, and you might remember there was this other guy that Solomon had kind of put into exile down into Egypt. His name was Jeroboam. That, see, look at you. So boom. So Jeroboam. Jeroboam had had problems. You know, he said basically Solomon had enlisted. Uh, you know, Solomon lived in quite a bit of luxury, and he didn't list it. A- he did arrive for himself <laughs> till the end. Then things went south. He enlisted a lot. Yeah, well, he enlisted a lot of people. That's a story for another day. He enlisted a lot of people to come and serve in his court, and so he he inscripted, or you know, uh, basically had a draft and and had these yeah. people who worked worked down in Jerusalem. And so you can imagine again, these people in the northern part of the kingdom, they're young people being brought down into Jerusalem and forced to work for the king, didn't go over necessarily well. Uh, you know, taxes too, you know, that kind of thing that that he he was taking our money, he built this extravagant temple. Uh, you know, this is the real site, you know, he built it down there kind of thing. And uh, so Jeroboam was the leader of the opposition. And you might remember when Rehoboam became king, Jeroboam came up and he basically said, hey, Rehoboam, you've got to make a decision. And if you continue to treat us the way your father has treated us, then we are going to separate from you. But if you um, will lighten the load on us, then then we will serve you forever. And Rehoboam, you might Rehoboam, what's that? His young friends told him, yeah. crack the whip on yeah, him, the like, old, crack him down. Yeah, the old. It, it's pretty interesting phrasing there. The older, uh, older, pe- wiser people said, "Hey, if you do this, they'll the, you'll be you know a beloved king." Young people said, "Oh, you need to show them that if you think you know if you think my dad was really harsh on you, you just wait." Uh, and and uh, he he you know answers him in this way. They a couple of really good lines. Uh, you know, I will, if you, if my father scourged you with whips, I'll scourge you with scorpions. And, and, uh, 
you know, my little finger is father is, is thicker than my father's waist. But anyway, he uh, he he sends Rehoboam or Jeroboam, Rehoboam sends Jeroboam packing, and so Jeroboam basically says, "We're going to have nothing to do with you." And so this is what we call the division of the kingdom. So it's it's really I don't I don't think people think about this enough that if you think about the kings of Israel, Saul was the first king, then David, then Solomon then Rehoboam, and those are only four kings. After that, the, the kingdom is divided. It's, split. it's really mm -hmm. a short period of time. You know, I was, and that kind of shows us that golden age. This is a whole different uh, uh, idea, but the idea of the son of David, the Messiah is going to be a son of David. That golden age, when the, all the enemies were defeated and when the nation was unified, was a relatively short period of time. So Jeroboam takes the northern 10 tribes uh, the only two tribes that remain in the southern kingdom then are Judea or Judah and Benjamin. And so that's where that division first takes place. A couple of interesting things is, you know, not only is there more population, if you think about those 10 tribes all, all taken together, but um, that Valley of Jezreel that I mentioned, that's the very politically, militarily important area, is controlled by the northern kingdom. Uh, now the southern kingdom has the temple and it has the 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 um, capital, so to speak. But uh, you know Jeroboam and the northern kingdom divide, and so that's the beginning of that. Now what happens next? At this point, they're still the same people with the same ethnic group. We would say, but what happens next is you might remember uh, what we call the Assyrian conquest. Uh, the Assyrian Empire ascended. This is that area of Mesopotamia uh, between the Tigris and Euphrates River. The Assyrian kingdom comes over and defeats the northern kingdom. Now, it threatens the southern kingdom. This is during the period of time when Isaiah is writing. Uh, Hezekiah is the king for at least part of the time. Uh, Ahaz, you'll, you'll remember, we've talked about this before. You can look at our some of our um, Advent series to talk about that. But but Ahaz is the king, and then Hezekiah, and Hezekiah is able to hold off the Assyrian threat. Uh, you, you might remember because God struck the army dead, but yeah, <laughs> which is pretty handy. But uh, <laughs> but what happens is the northern kingdom is defeated by the Assyrians. The, the they're, they're decimated or they're they're destroyed. I should say. My wife hates when I use the term decimated incorrectly, so. We can strike that. But anyway, they're completely <laughs> destroyed. But then what happens is um, the Assyrians, one of the ways that they controlled the population, because they were they were an expanding empire, is they would displace peoples. Uh, mm -hmm. it, basically, the idea is that you will fight for your home area more vigorously and you understand more how to defend it. Uh, so what the Assyrians would do is they would take captive uh, people and they would displace them. You can actually read about this in um, 2 Kings uh, chapter 17. We see a little bit of a story for this. Now, this is one of the places where the debate comes in because uh, Josephus talks about this, the historian Josephus, but there are a lot of people who think this is maybe partly misunderstood, but I think that at least to a certain extent you see something about this. This is 2 Kings 17.24. And I'm going to read, unless you want to read this, this is all these great place names. No, you should say, I'm looking at that. You should, you should say this. So the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kuthah, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharvaim, and settled them in the towns of Samaria to replace the Israelites. So I'm just going to give you a little side hint. This is a side hint for our listeners. Nobody knows how to pronounce these words correctly. So if you just say it quickly and with authority, people will assume you know what you're talking about. It's, it's worked for me for years. Well done. It's, yeah. it's worked for me for years. 
but anyway, they they took over Samaria and lived in its towns. So you see what mm-hmm. I'm saying? He's brought in this foreign people. Now, what probably happened is it wasn't every every last person that would have been um, uh, taken Displaced. out. Of a lot of times what we think is probably the cities and the villages were the ones where the people were taken from. And so a lot of people who lived in the countryside or whatever would have been left behind. And, and so, again, you can see kind of from a snobbish standpoint – uh, the people of Judea, especially the city elites, you know, those, those, you know, how those mm-hmm. elites in the cities are, they would have uh-huh. kind of looked down on them because they would have then been intermarried, right? There would have been these foreign Babylonians, these Assyrians who would have been marrying this, this other people. And particularly, you notice that town called Kutha at a later period of time, this is where it gets kind of murky and, and I'm not going to make any, I'm not a scholar of the Samaritans and I know there's lots of questions about this. But the word Kuthian becomes used later as one of the words that's used to refer to these Samaritans. By the way, we, ha- we haven't even talked about what the word Samaritan actually means. Uh, yes, I was going to ask you that. We'll come back to that. But but uh, Kutha, uh, the Kuthians then, are are seen by the Jews as uh, the, the people. And, and by the way, the word Jew we often don't use correctly as well. I'll come back to that another time maybe or late, later today maybe just as an aside. Bingo. But, yeah. <laughs> But the 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 people of Judea, let's call them at this point, or people of the southern kingdom, Judah, looked at these uh, people who came in then as as not true Israelites any longer. So again, it depends on your perspective. Now, interesting, if you read down through the rest of this, we're not going to read this whole chapter, but if you read the rest of 2 Kings 17, it's interesting because they send back the... the um, uh, uh, Syrians send back a priest, a Levite, uh, because it says that the people are not worshiping the God of that land correctly. And so they send back a, a, a priest of, of the Lord, of Yahweh, and uh, he teaches them. But the author of Kings tells us they were also worshiping the idols, and they all built shrines in each of their towns. They built shrines to the gods that they had brought with them. And so, again, you can see this kind of... Uh, you know, at least from the from the southern kingdom perspective, these people are, you know, they're they're worshiping false gods. They're you know they're pagans. They're they're intermarried. They're not true Israelites any longer, and so that's kind of one of the one of the issues. Questions to that point? Does that make sense so far? Yeah. So when did it start to be calling Samaria? Like, yeah. so was it was it just when it, they split, or what? What's, yeah, the, well, what's the story it, with it's that? It's actually not even called necessarily Samaria at that point. But it's um, uh, what I was going to say is this word. We think it comes. We think that's what the Samaritans called themselves, and it probably comes. And I was going to mention this when I started talking about it at the very beginning. It probably comes from a, a word that means the guardians. So again, they saw themselves as kind of the guardians of the true religion, right? Mm. And so, but but from again from a Jewish perspective, they're they're worshiping falsely. They're they're not doing this correctly. So, do we have any idea, like when the you know we talk about the Pentateuch and yeah. like this this idea of like it's a almost it's the same but different. Like was it like yeah. do we think that it was like when Jeroboam and, and Rehoboam when they split that then it was like oh well. We've got to say something different now. Well, we can't, and, we, and again, it depends on what side's telling the story, right? Right. So what the Samaritan side of the story is going to be is that um, Ezra, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute, because, uh, but when Ezra comes, he he's the one who, they would say, changes the Pentateuch so that it reads the way that our Bible reads. 
So that's going to be their their understanding, their perspective on these things. Um, you know, by I'm going to say by the the time of the the let's say the sixth century, fifth or sixth century is where this becomes a very firmly BC, fifth or sixth century mm-hmm. BC is where this becomes a very firmly embedded separation between these two groups. So, so I want to finish up this historical thing too. I should have, I okay, should have said sorry. this. No, no, you, I asked if you had any questions. That was, it's a good question, but the Assyrians, they take, take them into exile and then bring other people back. And of course that, that happens in the, in the eighth century, 722 or so. And then it, it's not until 586 BC that um, the Babylonians come and destroy the Southern kingdom. And mm-hmm. at that point, the at least the elites again are taken into exile into Babylon, so the southern mm-hmm. kingdom has the same kind of thing happen. Now, from the perspective of Ezra and others, this community maintains integrity, and we see it in Daniel. You, yeah, that's the whole point of Daniel, right? Is that yeah. at least the first part of Daniel is uh, e- even though we they told us to eat the way the king, you know, eat at the king's table, we we wouldn't eat any of this foreign food, uh, even mm. though they wanted us to bow our knee to these I- other idols, we wouldn't bow our knee to these other idols. Y- you know, we we maintained our, our community. We ma- maintained our integrity. Uh, we, were sh- we were true to the faith, even in exile. So for 70 years, though, 586 uh, BC until uh, sometime in the late 6th century, you, you have then these uh, these exiles from Babylon returning to the southern kingdom. Now, here's the interesting thing is when they come back, they receive opposition because th- this is actually kind of helps us understand Nehemiah a little bit and and things like uh, the book of Zechariah. Um, there's opposition from the people who remained to the rebuilding of the temple on, in Jerusalem because the Mount Gerizim already has its temple. Uh, yes. You see, what I'm saying those those people had remained. Yeah. It was the Babylonian. Uh, it's the I'm sorry, the Southern Kingdom that had been taken into exile. So there's that that kind of a separation as well. So there's that that thing uh, when the Israelites returned. Mount Gerizim was already there. It was it was that temple was expanded uh, in the second century BC uh, and and made bigger. Um, but there's you know, these competing temples and that's, yeah. So when was that temple built? Like, like when was the, the, the temple in, on Mount Gerizim? It would have begun. Well, again, it goes all the way back to Shiloh that, that there was this place of worship there and archeologists are going to have different kind of understandings, but here's, here's the way I say it. By the time the uh, Israelites came back from Babylonian exile, there was already a temple on Mount Gerizim. Okay. Gotcha. So, so we don't know not when a, the, the I, Samaritans. I, I'm not willing to come down exactly. I would say sometime after the Assyrian conquest, right? But sometime mm-hmm. before the Babylonian return from the the, the uh, Jews returning from exile. And and here's where I was going to talk about the Jews, is that's really the first time it's pro- appropriate to use the term Jews. Um, and and really that word means the the residents of Judea. That, that's what that word mm. means. Uh, so a lot of times people will talk about Abraham being Jewish. It's like, nah, not exactly. Not really. You, you really can't yeah. even call him Israelite because, you know, Israel is his grandson, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. And so yes. yeah, got you, you get what I'm saying is, yes. is it's it's difficult. It's difficult to, to use these terms because we use them, um, 
you know, in, um, what do I say? Uh, Interchangeable ways. Yeah. Almost. And, and, and from in, in wrong time period. So I would, I would always tell my students, you really can't talk about Jews until the return from Babylonian exile. Then you can use the term. And, um, uh, in an inappropriate way. So, so Jew really never refers to the Northern kingdom. Uh, it's only to those, it, in it's Judea. only to those in Judea, the, the, so, the, the Judah, which then at a later period of time gets known as Judea. So, so we've got them coming yeah. back from Babylonian exile. Mm-hmm. We got Nehemiah, they're building the temple and there's this, there's like a, re, yeah. a new, a renewed tension. I mean, there's always been tension it's always there. Been there. But, that's, that's the thing I always try to, to get across to people is, this is a thousand year long conflict by the time we get to Jesus. This has been going yeah. on a long mm-hmm. time, you know. So do you see like the so I mean, is it assumed then like that an Assyrian Samaritan influence has moved down to Jerusalem then at that point? It, 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 because it, that's why it's that's why there's that opposition. It's not that far, right? The border yeah, yeah. the border between the northern and southern kingdom is not that far from Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but once so what but once the, the elites or whatever they're taken out of Jerusalem, more of that influence from the north starts working its well, way down. And I would say that the northern kingdom becomes more influential during that period of time after the Babylonians have destroyed them, because they've already been, you know, they've already kind of settled from the established themselves and, and a little so, bit more. So now the threat is if Jerusalem is reestablished as the center of mm. of um you know, both religious and also, um, uh, what's the word I would look for? Ethnic, po- cultural. Political, right. If it becomes the center, then that's going to take away from Shechem. It's going to take away from these places to the north, and, and that becomes All a part right. of the conflict as well. So that's another part of the story. But now here's here's really kind of the—, the, the there, there's a couple things that happen here. So we've talked about the Maccabees before. We talked about the intertestamental period. How I think it's crucial to understand that that particular period of time. Uh, but there was this bad guy. You'll remember this Syrian king by the name of uh, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, who came down from the north and began exerting his influence. Uh, and and particularly there was a, a, a trying to get the people to worship these these you know Hellenist Hellenistic gods and and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and the Samaritans and the Jews responded differently to that. And and I use that term, you know, because there were different kinds of Jews even. We've talked about that before. And there are different mm-hmm. kinds of Samaritans. But it gets very complex. But whereas the Maccabees resisted the, the move by Antiochus Epiphanes to um, rededicate the temple to Zeus— Mm-hmm. It seems that the temple on Mount Gerizim did not receive that kind of uh, problem. That that it was rededicated to Zeus, mm-hmm. and, and they went along with Antiochus Epiphanes. At least those who were in charge went along. And again, this is from the Jewish perspective, <laughs> right? I'm giving you this. Right. I'm giving you this mm-hmm. story from that side. Uh, but they they went along with this, and so they didn't receive that kind of opposition. So that's kind of the final nail in the coffin when when the the Maccabean revolution takes place, the Samaritans are going to say, we don't want to be identified with them, right? Mm. Uh, and so that that caused politically then, uh, the, it made it initially easier on them. But then when the Maccabees got in control, then they retaliated to a certain extent against the Samaritans. And here's the final nail in the coffin then. 128 BC, John Hyrcanus, one of the Maccabean kings, uh, I think the grand grandson, I can't remember if it's a son. I think it's a son of one of the original Maccabean family. Uh, but he destroyed the temple 
on Mount Gerizim in 128 BC. So mm-hmm. just maybe 150 years ahead of this account of uh, John chapter four that we've talked about frequently before, where where the woman says to Jesus, you know, our ancestors said we worship on this mountain. So now we understand that, right? They say, well, that's where the that's where the Ark of the Covenant originally was. That's where it was when it was brought into the land. This is where it was. This is where the tabernacle was first set up. And, and that's our ancestors say it's on this mountain that we worship. You Jews say the place we should worship is on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, basically she is she is pointing out <laughs> the very central difference between their two people groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always say I, I don't know, I can't remember if I've told this story on this uh, on in one of our episodes or not, but I lived in Scotland for a while, and uh, our, our whole family lived over there. I was going to school at the University of Aberdeen, and and uh, our kids actually started uh, elementary school in Scotland, and so my wife was working full time for the hospital there, had a great job there, and so it was my job to walk the kids to school and, and walk them home. And it's interesting because we'd always go and and it's, they, they called it mummy time, <laughs> you know, mo- mommy time. They, of course, they yes, call them mummies. Yeah. But <laughs> here am I and all of these women picking up our kids from yes, yes, and and you know, so I get kind of these strange looks and and everything. And there was a a mother there that was interesting, um, and this is something most people who've who've not lived or been in, been in the UK for a long period of time don't understand, but. Because of the former empire, you know the UK, right. UK the the you know empire that they had was over large sections of the world, and so there are many people from the former empire who come there to either to study or uh, to work or whatever. In fact, in some ways, it's easier for someone from a, a former empire. Um, nation to to get into the country than it is for uh, an American. And it's an interesting um it's an interesting thing for us because we're not used to being in that kind of a that kind of a a classification or situation. But um this was a a, a young lady uh mother of two and and her kids ended up playing with my kids. They were, you know, in the same school and everything. Uh but they were from Iran. And this was a period of time. <laughs> it was not. <laughs> there was quite a bit of tension uh, uh-huh. between. Uh, she's a very intelligent woman. Uh, she uh, she uh, taught uh, like essentially the equivalent to Sunday school at at their mosque. Uh, and mm-hmm. so it was very interesting. One of the first times we ever met, then she she spoke to me, and it always reminds me of the story of the woman at the well uh, because she said something to the effect of, "Oh, you're American." I'm like, yeah, well, why are you here? Well, I'm studying uh, university. Well, what are you studying? I'm studying the New Testament. Oh, are you, you know, a pastor? Are you, you know, some kind of a religious person? And uh, I said, um, I said, yeah, I am. And so it was interesting. The very next word she says reminds me of this woman at the well. She said, uh, well, the biggest difference between Christians and Muslims is that you believe Jesus is God and we do not. And I thought, you know, it's just like the woman at the well. Okay, I think you're a prophet. Tell me, here's the question. Is it this mountain or on that mountain that we worship? Let's get down to the very central issue. Let's get to it. Let's not dance around the issue. And so, you know, again, it it was very interesting to talk to her over a period of time and, and, uh, you know, uh, learn about her. Her her kids, like I said, her sons would play with our kids. Well, I won't won't go into that, but... uh, 
very interesting. Hussein and Muhammad were her her kids' names, uh, but uh, the uh, the you know that that separation that that anxiety I think is what we are seeing here in John chapter four, and so then also Luke chapter ten this idea of the Samarit the good Samaritan that story is not the way that you would expect it to go. And Jesus is using that cultural understanding of this big separation. So, so the thing I always say to people is you got to understand this is a long-term conflict, a thousand years uh, of this separation and, of, and various events that are taking place and the way that different groups interpret one another or understand one another. But then, you know, this intertestamental thing that this temple was destroyed. The temple on Mount Gerizim was destroyed again by Jewish zealots. You know, they're, they're, they're basically mm-hmm. saying, you know, we defended the temple against, against this, this, uh, Antiochus epiphanies. We, we literally, and this will be interesting given another episode we're, we're released, we've released is, uh, you know, the cleansing of the temple that the Maccabees yeah. did. Right. Because they had brought in these false, uh, they'd sacrificed a pig on the altar, made it unclean. And so they came in and cleansed the temple. Why? Because they wanted to reuse it. They saw this still as the central place for where we we uh, come close to God. And so this false temple up on Mount Gerizim needs to be dealt with. And so John Hyrcanus does that. And you can see what a, what an, just to think about that, what an amazing uh, separation that that would put between you and another person. And so here's this woman at the well saying to Jesus, so what mountain should we worship on? Of course, his, his question here, his response is there's coming a time where both of these temples are going to be gone and to worship God is, is going to be an issue of spirit and truth. And and again, I think John is presenting Jesus really as the solution to how we are truly to worship. Jesus says in the gospel, John, I am the way, the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the way, if you want to draw near to God now, you don't go to Mount Gerizim, you don't go to Mount Zion, you, you come through me, is what Jesus is saying there, I think. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot to, you know, <laughs> understand. Well, I mean, just to understand, yeah. like, the, the, where how deep that animosity yeah. probably ran between the two of yeah. them, where it's, it's uh, you know, it's, kind of the you kind of have the religious slap in the face where you know like tearing down the te- yep. the temp their temple in Gerizim. Did, now is there any record of them trying to rebuild that yes. temple? Yeah it's on been Gerizim? rebuilt. Um, okay. Yeah it, in fact it was rebuilt in the in the um uh later period in uh I I'm not as good at my uh, my history in the uh let's say third fourth century uh, AD sometime along in there it's not not as good but it was rebuilt there are still there are still a group of Samaritans that go and worship in the, on that mountain to to this day that's the other kind of difficult thing is you'll read some things about the what the Samaritans believe and it's from later writings let's say from the 14th century <laughs> right and they're reading yeah. these things back and and we have to always take those things obviously with a grain of salt and they don't necessarily inform our understanding of the culture during Jesus' time. But archaeologists have have done work on Mount Gerizim in order to to determine these earlier buildings and when they were built and this kind of stuff. So there's lots of interesting historical work that's been done there. Uh, and like I said, the, the Samaritans exist to this day. There There is a group that would identify themselves as Samaritans and, again, would still see themselves as the true people of God. 
mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and they in, in Israel they have an interesting status. They have a protected status uh, there in that in that place. So, yeah. Well, I think this is you know I think this is important. I, I think we've talked about worldview before yeah. and like the importance of understanding worldview. Yes. And so when we read these stories in the New Testament of Jesus's interaction yes. or even his parables, we can get a uh, I think a, a much clearer picture of what was running through people's yeah. mind, you know, this, this scandal of it in some ways, you know, I, you know, I think you go back and look at the woman at the well in John four and you see so much more of the scandal of it, like this interaction between these people that had maybe given in right. to Antiochus Epiphanes and, you know, the false gods. And then Jesus is saying like, Hey, I'm going to heal. And so I'm going to heal this wound. Like it's not right. This, this division is not going to be, is going to be artificial in the future. Right. Uh, me. The interesting thing, of course, the, the upshot of that is that uh, it says many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. So the woman goes back into Sychar and tells them about Jesus, and they end up believing in, in him. And he ends up staying there, um, you know, and, and uh, teaching that he is this fulfillment of the prophet. I didn't mention this in their writings, uh, really important. And this is used in, in some in the Gospel of John, but Deuteronomy chapter 18 uh, Moses said, there's one who is like me uh, who will arise from among you. You are to listen to him. Uh, in other words, this idea of a coming prophet. And for the Samaritans, that was an important text. They believed that there was this prophet like Moses to come. And so when this woman begins to say, I see that you are a prophet, you know, there's a question, is is, is this the promised one? Not exactly the same kind of Messiah, you, you, you know what I'm saying that the it's not mm-hmm. the son of because David for them would not have been a it, it's not a son right. of David right it's not it's not the Messiah in that sense but uh, he is the prophet that's promised uh like Moses uh and, and I think they, that they put their you know at least these in Sychar put their faith in him and and end up being a believer so interesting yeah well that's a lot of information that is not in the Bible <laughs> I mean some of it's there <laughs> Right. right, I get what you're saying, but th- this is why I think, and I talk all the time about material culture. In other words, the archaeology is important, uh, mm-hmm. his- history is important. Understanding these these various uh, things uh, very very important for us to to understand. I-, I mentioned that some people question that that Second Kings 17 passage, but the Assyrian there's a, a, a records of the Assyrian king at that time talking about some of the exiles that he took from these villages in Samaria. Uh, and, uh, so it's kind of interesting later on. And this is, this is a, probably a topic for another day. You know, of course the Galilean Jews, uh, and the Judean Jews end up being associated. And then these Samaritans in the middle, they're kind of the stripe in the middle. If you imagine the map, um, mm-hmm. have this different, you know, those centered around Gerizim and still to this day, Samaritans are pri- primarily in that central part uh, of the nation. That's primarily where they're, where they're located. So. Yes. Very good. Well, hope you enjoyed that. That was a lot. To, yeah, it's a, it's a history lesson that ties in the Bible. Good. You know, you get to see that intertestamental stuff. And again, I, I, it goes back to this worldview so we yeah. can understand and we can see the world. Um, because honestly, I mean, I don't even for me before I read some of that intertestamental period, like understanding like the John Hyrcanus yeah. and what's what's happening there really helps us paint a picture of the, the tensions and the yeah. what was happening in that time where we can see that the, the the scandal of Jesus right. and some of this, like he was not what we expected. Right. Yep. So excellent. Well, Brian, thank you so much thank for you, filling us in on the Samaritans and uh, all that good stuff. Yeah. 
All right, see we'll you soon. Yeah. All right, bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. You can find show notes, links, and more at thebiblebistro.com and find links there to follow us on social media. Next week, Brian and I are welcoming Dr. Michelle Knight. Michelle is the Assistant Professor of Old Testament and Semitic Languages at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Michelle's doctoral thesis was focused on the Book of Judges. We discuss the structure of the Book of Judges, and she helps us understand the flow and the importance of the messages within Judges. We hope you'll join us for an incredible conversation. Thanks again for listening and sitting with us at the table in the bistro. We'll be back next Tuesday.